Last week, I, I raised the, one of the little points was that one of the most important parts of the scriptures to me was the Lord's Prayer. A part of scripture that I think is overlooked, not understood, and not studied enough. One of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is the, the, that wonderful statement, that very simple statement, thy kingdom come, whose will to be done? Thy will to be done. And when we look in all humility at most people's prayer lives, what we actually see is a subtle and quiet giving God orders, telling God what you would like to happen and how you think it should be done and this we call prayer. If we put that against the Lord's Prayer, you, you might have to reconsider uh, your attitude towards prayer if that's what your prayer life is. The Ten Commandments are similar in that we know them, we all have read them, and we probably have not spent enough time thinking about what they really mean and going into it and seeing how it really adjusts and sets the most basic part of our Christian living. It's in these Ten Commandments and uh, the Lord's Prayer is another place to go. So, uh, last week, we looked a little bit at this very first line. I'm not going to go over that again, uh, but we will read just some of this, this in Exodus 20 now. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 8. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Now, in the context of this scripture, remember that Moses is giving these Ten Commandments, and in Moses' mind is the time of the burning bush. That's already happened. And in the burning bush, God said to him, I am. This is my name, I am. So it's not a coincidence. This starts with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. Now, we looked a little bit about what that meant last week. And I, I just want to visit that again because um, I like mind games. How many people here like playing mind experiments and mind games? Yeah, I do. Do you, do you know that Einstein, one of our greatest scientists, um, stumbled into his whole concepts of relativity and E equals MC squared by mind games? He wasn't clever maths first. It was the mind games came first, and the, and the, the, um, the science came after. Here's a mind game for you, and this is going to make you all think a little bit. Are there aliens? Have you thought about that? Are there aliens? If there are aliens, has God visited them? If there are aliens, has Jesus been to redeem them? Have they sinned? This is quite a mind game, isn't it? Right? Think about it. Ah, are there aliens? Well, our scientists haven't yet told us whether there are or there aren't. And it all comes down to how big the universe is. Well, if the universe is as big as we think it is, the chances of there being aliens are fairly high. Uh, if the universe is as big as we think it is, the chances of us communicating with them is fairly low. So you might never know. But just think about this. If there's one set of aliens, there could be two. And if there's two and it goes on, you end up with the thought that there could be multiple universes. Well, we, we, we know there's aliens for a fact because the Bible talks about angels. And angels are beings that aren't the same as we are. So are they from another dimension? Oh, it gets, doesn't it? It gets nuts. I mean, how do you, right, okay. This is the thought I'm trying to work out. God is bigger than all that. 
right? God created, whatever the answer is to those questions, God created the universe in which all this is held. When you come before the God who says, I am, this is the God to whom you're coming. So it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? This is the God to whom you're coming. And yet we tend to try and turn him into sort of Father Christmas who's there to do what we want. And my, my, uh, this is God is there to serve me is a big error. No, we are there to serve him. This is the whole purpose of your life, to serve him. This first command, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, think about that one. To have, to be able to choose your God is to be able to choose your morality. Okay, when this was written, there were gods in Canaan. Some of those gods, one of those gods was called Molech. And Molech was a god who received child sacrifice. So if Molech was your god, you were choosing the right to have child sacrifice. Now, you could have great fun looking at all the gods of ancient Egypt. It really is quite complicated. There was hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, uh, it was complicated. But if you choose another god, you are choosing your morality. And the Ten Commandments are here to set our, mor our, to set our morality. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Now, the usual understanding of a god at the time of um, Moses was represented by a, an image, a carved image. Now, these could be little tiny carved figurines, which were sort of personal gods that people took with them. But they could also be the gods of Karnak Temple, which were massive, huge statues still there, representing the god that, that this god represented. Now, it's pretty clear that the people of this time had two different beliefs here. There were those who believed that these statues were the actual gods. And there were those who could see past this and believed that they were just representations of. Because if you go to the Temple of Karnak, there's about a dozen different statues to Ra and to Amen, and they all know that they're different places. How many of you have heard of the story of Bell and the Dragon? Oh, great, some of us. Bell and the Dragon. This is an apocryphal Old Testament story written about Daniel. Now, it's probably a legend, but it makes a very good point. The story is this, that there was this huge big statue at the time of Nebuchadnezzar called Bell. And this was the, um, the, the, the god. And all the people had to come and bring uh, food offerings and all sorts of things to Bell. And they'd lay them out in front of Bell, and then overnight, this, the priests would come, they'd all worship Bell, and overnight, it would all be gone. And people believed that, of course, Bell had come and taken all these offerings and food and this, that, and the other. 
Now, Daniel said, or the, the story calls him Daniel, this, this is a load of rubbish. <laughs> this isn't what's going on at all, okay? And so what Daniel did is he went out at night and he sprinkled rice all over the floor in front of the dragon or the, the statue. And so along comes the evening and all the people come. They all give their food and their gifts to the, to the dragon. And then they all go away. In the morning, it's all gone. And then Daniel comes up and says, look, look in the rice. And you can see all the footprints of all the priests and all the priests' children. Everybody else have all rushed out from the statue, grabbed it all and taken it all in. And so, says Daniel, you're being conned. So there were people at this time who were quite well aware this was all a big con. And there are others who passionately believed in these, these gods. What God says to you in the Ten Commandments is, don't make any carved images or likeness of anything in heaven or on earth. Basically, don't be taken in. God is not really upset about statues. He is concerned about what your heart believes. Do not be taken in by false teachings and false gods. That's what this is saying to us. Today, I, I doubt there's any of you here have a little idol at home who you pray to. This would have been pretty common at Moses' time. Hmm. Now, you know what I'm going to say next, don't you? How many of you have got other little things in your lives that you let guide you? We, we, we've been having an ongoing, uh, how would I describe it, educational process would be a nice way of saying it, with some of our grandchildren about TikTok. Right? And now the oldest one has actually twigged it. And she's only 12, and she has banned herself looking at TikTok and denying her brothers and sisters the right to see TikTok because she says it is leading you the wrong way. It's making you look at values and set values up which are not good for you. Uh, we're very proud of her that she's got that place herself. TikTok, for many young people, is what? It's an idol. It's not carved. It's not made out of wood. No, something else. But it's an idol that's guiding people the wrong way. And if you look at your lives and my lives, it's very, very difficult to avoid being guided the wrong way by the wrong things. I've got a whole list of things here, um, but I'm not going to go through them because I'm sure we can all look at our own things. I am going to say one thing that's probably going to... Uh, could be a bit edgy for some of you. Be very careful about some, some of the so-called Christian theology and teachings that are about. Be very, very careful. Anybody who claims to be between you and God is setting themselves as a prophet between you and God. Anybody who says to you, oh, send me money and I'll pray for you, why can't you just pray for yourself? This is setting themselves up as some sort of prophet between you and God. This is false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching today. I'm sorry about that. But it's out there. 
and we need to be very careful. Otherwise, we're setting up false images. Very often, the, the, the key to seeing a false teaching is it tends to do two things. It magnifies what you want, and it magnifies somebody else. Somebody else is elevated, and what you would like is elevated. So it becomes anthropomorphic, if you like. A philosopher once said that human beings were very good at making God in their own image. You know, we make God what we would like him to be, rather than what he is. He is the God who created this incredible universe that we can't get our heads around, that may or may not have aliens in. And if it has got aliens in, he will be their God, because he created them. This is the God to whom we're coming, not a God who is there to listen to our desires and, and do what we want. We should not be coming before God, telling him what we would like him to do for us. We should be going before God, telling him, asking him what he wants us to do for him. Please be very careful about these, um, these false images and these, these false teachings. This is the bit that causes people a lot of trouble. You shall not bow down or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Mm. So God is visiting punishment on third and fourth generations? Uh, no, don't read it like that. It's not quite what it means. It, you can balance this. Way up in Jeremiah, we have this statement. Jeremiah says, You shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own sins. Each man who eats sour grapes, his own teeth shall be set on edge. So the Bible balances this, this statement off, okay? You will suffer for your own sins. Your children will not suffer for your sins. But this is talking about sin before God. Let's look at the consequences of living. Okay? What does it mean? Uh, it means that my grandfather's generation started to throw stuff in the sea. And my grandchildren are going to have to clear it up. There are consequences for what we do. The way that we live has consequences. Now, God is omnipotent. God could have stopped, stepped in and he could have stopped my grandfather's generation from starting to polluting the planet. He could have said, no, don't do that, and stop them. But he didn't. He left us with our free will. We have to, to accept that responsibility. The free will was given. We polluted the planet. Now we have to clear it up. There are consequences for our action. This is what this means. God says, if you break my commandments, there will be consequences. I used to work in a clinic in Coventry which dealt with uh, some very disadvantaged people. And this little story I'm going to tell you now, I saw many, many times. But I'm thinking of a times when a great-grandfather became an alcoholic. And as this great-grandfather became an alcoholic, he beat his son. The son grew up with a picture of discipline is being beaten. He didn't know any better. 
he didn't become an alcoholic because he'd seen what happened to his grandfather, to his father. But he bullied his son. His son grew up and became a drug addict. The drug addict grew up and had a daughter whom he abused. I've seen this happen over and over again. And you can look at the abuse of the, of the, of the daughter starts with the misbehaving of the great-grandfather. The sins of one generation are passed down to the next because we have free will. This is not God punishing you. This is God saying, if you don't keep my commandments, there are going to be consequences. And here are the consequences. We have a polluted planet and a great deal, a great deal of the problems of one generation have been caused because of the behavior of previous generations. That's just a fact. So we should be looking very carefully at our behavior. Your behavior is not just affecting you. It's going to affect the people that come after you and the people that come after them. It says here, right down to the third and fourth generation. And I think we can all see situations where the fourth generation is suffering because of the behavior of a generation previously. This is what happens if we don't keep God's commandments. But, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. But showing steadfast love to those who love me and keep my commandments. The, as you read down these, you get to the little bit about keep the Sabbath. I'm not going to talk about the Sabbath today. But I did want to have that little reading that where Jesus is talking about the Sabbath and he says this, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was to bless and help mankind. It's not that mankind has to keep the Sabbath or God gets cross. It's the other way around. If this is true for one of these Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, it's true for all of them. The Ten Commandments are there not as a sort of stumbling block to make sure we worship God in a correct way or he gets mifty. No, the Ten Commandments are there to protect us. They are there to show us how to live. They're there to show us correct attitudes. And if you want to ask, how do we solve many of this generation's difficult problems? Maybe the answer is not making the, the solution too complicated. It's going back to the Ten Commandments and saying, right, let's have these correct attitudes. And we come back to the fact that our relationship with God is about attitudes, not doing the right thing, because doing the right thing can sometimes be difficult to work out. Having the right attitude is a lot different. 
You know the, the difference between a covenant and um, a contract. Okay, we as Western people, we are, our society is built upon contract, which tends to be a written thing. You do this, we will do that. Covenant is built upon relationship. Covenant is built upon the relationship we have with one another. Our relationship with God is covenant. It's not a contract. Now, as evangelicals, we, we, we clearly understand that Jesus died for us, that our sins were forgiven by his death and resurrection. And sometimes we can be trapped into seeing that as a contract. I do this, then God will do that. But the epistle of James tends to unwrap that a bit and say, no, no, you still have, you still have responsibilities. It's a covenant. We enter into a covenant with God, the new covenant, the New Testament. The Ten Commandments set out the guidelines for this covenant that we have with God, which is a relationship based upon our communion with God into which we enter through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But, you know, becoming a Christian is just the start of it. It's not got contract signed, well, now do I like to like get to heaven. No, it's enter into covenant. Now I have the opportunity to live my life in the covenant with God. I think I could divide this congregation up into three groups here. There are some of us who have been around long enough to know full well that you will... Um, there are consequences for your actions. We were talking over coffee just now about which people live the longest. And we were sort of saying, yeah, it does tend to come down to those who live correct lives, didn't drink too much, didn't do this, da da da. Yeah, we, a certain generation of us here can see the um, effect of, of, of the way we've been living. And there's a generation here who are waking up to this we're beginning to think, oh gosh, this is coming upon me. And there's another generation here I can see some younger ones who are probably still living in that concept of you're going to live for eternity and tomorrow will probably come. Now we've all been there. Believe me, it comes. And there are going to be consequences for the decisions you make in your life now. And those decisions are not going to affect just you they're going to affect generations to come. If you're blessed and have children, it's going to affect them. And it's going to affect their children and their children's children. According to decisions and the way in which you live now. This is what the Ten Commandments are there to show us and to guide us through. But God shows steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, there's, you can divide this into two things as well. There is the steadfast love that is individual, in an individual walk with God. And then there's God's steadfast love that he sort of protects the whole of uh, our communities and societies. You, you, you can break that down a little bit, but certainly the, the scripture says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That was initially talking just about Israel. But it's certainly, I think, historically, you can see nations who have allowed God's word to be preached, 
who have followed these Ten Commandments, who have made these the, the statutes by which they build their laws, have become more blessed than those who have not. And today, I think we're living in a society which is rapidly undoing that, moving away from God's laws, moving away from the statutes in the scripture. There will be consequences. And unfortunately, the next generation will have to undo those consequences. But God is there. God is not mocked. God will be there. He will see it through. If there are aliens, God created them. And if they have a savior, it was Jesus, because he's the second person of the Trinity. There's no more Trinities. There's only the one. These things can, can really make life very interesting and, and confusing. Let's come back to the basic ones. God has given us 10 commandments on which we should base our behavior. Let's look at those. Let's recognize there are consequences for not keeping to those 10 commandments. And there are blessings if we do. And let's understand that our relationship with God is a covenant. It's a living relationship between, uh, between personalities, yours and God's. It's not a tick box, law-based, do this and I will do that, do this and I will do that. It's more beautiful than that. It's a covenant. So, the Ten Commandments. They lead us into a covenant relationship with God. They give us the basis by which we should be living. They contain both a warning. If you do things wrong, there's going to be consequences. And they promise a blessing. If you keep these Ten Commandments, God is there to protect us and bless us. And let me finish where I started. Remember to whom you are coming. You are not coming to a Father Christmas type God who sits in a corner and asks you to give him your best wishes and he will see what he can do. You're coming to a God who says, I am the Lord your God, you should have no other gods before me, who asks you to come to him and ask this one question, how do I serve you? What do you want from me? And he will be there. He will be there to help you, guide you, and pull you through to where you should be. He is a great and mysterious God who may, <laughs> may or may not have made aliens. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we thank you for uh, the mystery of your creation. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us in the form of Jesus. Amen. Amen.